Okay, uh, so we are in John 17. If you guys want to turn there, uh, there are Bibles in the, the pew backs. Uh, it'd be cool if you, eh, it'll be on the screen. You can look at it, you know, if you want. Um, if you want to, go ahead and open Just do it. Yeah, just go ahead and open it up. I want to give you an idea of where we're going a bit. Uh, so you can see that we will get done this semester. Uh, so, yeah, open it up and just take a look at it. If you've got your own Bible, look at that. We can just sort of get a feel for where we are, get a feel for where we're going. We've jumped back in. We've been out of John for quite some time now, so we just need to get our bearings again. So uh, if you open up to John 17, uh, if you remember... Uh, John like 14, 15, 16, Jesus has just been talking to his disciples because he's about to go to the cross. If you also remember, we actually started last semester um, in the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. We are still in the last week of Jesus' life. So we're like moving sort of day by day. Each chapter is sometimes only a few hours. Uh, so like 14, 15, 16, those are all the same, like sort of the same time. Uh, so he's talking to his disciples, he's getting them ready for what's about to happen. He's going to go to the cross. They don't understand that. They don't get that. They don't know why he's doing that. They think he should be overthrowing Rome, you know, kicking Pontius Pilate in the nuts and, and throwing him out, restoring Jewish hegemony to the area. Like that's what they think should be going on. Uh, and then he starts letting them know, I'm going to die. And they're like, we should have not given up our lives to follow you. You let us down. So you sort of, you sort of feel some confusion from them. What we're going to get into over the next three weeks is John 17. Uh, if, you, if you were raised in the church or, or if you're familiar with John at all, or if you just look in your Bible, uh, you will see that it's called the high priestly prayer. This is the longest prayer that we have by Jesus in the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful texts that we have uh, when I was growing up and tried to read this, it made me so frustrating because it didn't make any sense to me. I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, it's really, really quite beautiful. It's, it's actually Jesus praying to the Father about his disciples. And then what's really cool is he's praying about the people who will become believers because of his disciples. He's literally praying for us, like literally. He's praying for the people who will follow his disciples and everyone after he's praying for those people so it's really quite beautiful um, and we can miss all of it or most of it or we can actually reinterpret it, reinterpret it into our our framework that I don't think is really good we can sort of reinterpret it wrongly uh, and, and I'm afraid of us doing that I'm afraid of us taking what Jesus is saying in this prayer and sort of fitting it into our evangelical box our American evangelical Christian little box um, and robbing it of its power and its life. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're just going to pull back a little bit. Uh, want to give us like an overarching way of thinking um, before we jump in and spend the next, uh, the next two weeks in, in this text. Um, after John 17, Jesus will go to the cross. Uh, and there's some narrative that builds up to him going to the cross. And then there's some things happen after the cross. And we're going to be looking at that after those three weeks. So we're going to end maybe with a week to spare, and we'll preach about, I don't know, what you should do after you graduate or something fun. Who knows? Um, so that is where we're going. So as I'm getting ready for this, this text, um, uh, and I don't know why I went here, uh, but I was trying to remember 
when I was like 18, 19, 20, 21, let's say 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, I was about that age. I was trying to remember at that time why it was so hard for me to give my life over to Jesus. Like why it was so difficult for me to give all of myself into full submission to what Jesus wanted to do in my life. Um, Because I believed, that whole time, I believed Jesus was the Son of God crucified, resurrected. I believe the Bible was the inherent word of God, right? Uh, this whole time I believed that. Um, like I remember when I was probably 16, uh, riding around in, in one of my friend's cars, I had uh, just rolled a sweet. Uh, if you don't know what sweet is, that's when you empty uh, tobacco out of a cigar and you fill it with weed um, and, and you smoke it. Uh, and so I just rolled, rolled a sweet, and I remember my friend in front of me saying, asking about what the whole thing with Jesus is. So like we light up and passing it around, and I'm, and I'm just explaining the gospel. And it like hit me. I was like, this is just beautiful story. My God, this is incredible. And I'm getting like fired up about it too. You know, like I'm, I'm not walking with Jesus at all, obviously. Um, and we're just, you know, smoking sweet. And I'm explaining why Jesus had to die for humanity. We're all broken sinners in need of a Savior. And God was willing to lovingly die for his creation. I'm like, this is just this is beautiful. Like, I remember like almost wanting to cry or maybe even tearing up and just sort of sitting in the back because it was dark. I mean, and even after that, like, I remember I just get gone off of, I don't know why, we were drinking like Goldschlager and doing cocaine. And I'm like, right, it's like this liqueur, it's gross. Uh, And doing cocaine, and I'm arguing with people about the inerrancy of the Bible and why it's obvious that God wrote it and it's obvious that God exists. And I'm just like, like, I'm like arguing with people, going to town, really great arguments. Even the people around are like, wow, that's a really good argument. And I'm like, I know, this stuff is, it's right on, you know. Um, and, and, I'm tr- and I'm trying to remember, why was I that way? I mean, and it wasn't just like I did this for a short time. Like I did this from, from, from like I was 15 till I was 21. Like, I mean, it, was a, it was quite a long time. Went to jail several times during that time. And every time I went to jail, I was like, God is doing this to me. And I appreciate it a little. <laughs> I mean, I remember, like, one time someone, I may have been going on too much about this, but I, I don't know. We had sold a large amount of cocaine and got arrested afterwards. And I was like, God is looking out for us. I could have been in jail for a long time if I got caught with that amount. Man, he's really good. And I like got out, nothing changed. Nothing changed at all. Um, I, was like, I, was in, I was studying for this and trying to drop into that. Why? Well, how could I have been that way? It still seemed impossible for me to submit everything to Jesus while still believing like I mean, I was going through the Bible trying to prove, because I believed it was inerrant, 
that weed is cool. It's okay to smoke weed. Like, I was trying to prove that. It's so weird to think that. Um, It still seemed impossible to submit everything to Jesus and really submit my life and say, you lead, I'll follow, let's go where you want to go. I want to be alive in you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, that was not, I don't know. It just seemed impossible for a long time. And I had a good time, you know, doing all that stuff. It wasn't terrible. I mean, I had enjoyed it. Um, and before I was, you know, a bad kid, I was a really good kid. Like, I smoked weed before I cussed, right? Like, I was raised in the church. I remember being high and then feeling like it was okay to say a cuss word. That was a real weird feeling. Okay, so this is, this is where I'm at. And I had felt a bit of purposelessness. And I'm going to say that word a lot, so we just need to get over purposelessness. It's a funny word. Um, I felt a bit of purposelessness before I started doing all that. There's a big reason why I got into that. And then even as I'm doing that, it was a fun, it was okay, but I would still go home most of the time feeling like, like there's got to be something more than this. I just felt like purposelessness, purposelessness. Like, and I felt that whether I followed the rules or not. I felt that whether I followed the rules or not. Um, and, I, and as I started to think, why was I so in b- believing this but just could not submit to Jesus? Um, and I think as I started to understand and started to just, just try to see why it was that way is because what the evangelical church had sort of painted for me, and whether they did this or whether I just received it that way, I don't know, but this was sort of my view they didn't paint this great alternative to what I was doing. But the way they painted like the purpose of why we exist, why humans are here, why we were like spoken into existence, and why God still seems to work with us in our frailty, why he would send Jesus, like the whole, like, the whole reason that, that I got painted for me was, well, God was bored, and so he made humans... So he could have these people around, and then you should you should follow God because Jesus died for you, and you'll have a personal relationship with Jesus. We had that a lot. Personal relationship with Jesus. You'll go to heaven later. Right now, though, in the meantime, just be a good boy. Wear a Christian T-shirt because God will love that. Don't listen to secular music because God hates that. Throw away all your Goosebumps book because they're witchcraft. God likes that. Don't cuss. Be a good boy. And occasionally, try to force your beliefs on other people. God likes that. That was sort of the purpose of the whole thing. Like, that's sort of what I walked away with most of the time. It was just this really, like, I don't find any purpose in, like, Getting wasted all the time. Like, I definitely didn't. I was most of the time like, ah, this it's fun-ish. I don't know. There's got to be something more to existence. And then I went, would go to church, and I would hear that. And I'd be like, I don't know. Is that it? I don't know. And so I, I would walk. That, so that was my evangelical sort of notion of why God created humans and what he was doing now and what he wanted from me. Um, and then I think, I think if you're like me and you've been raised in this culture, you sort of feel that a little bit too. Maybe it's not, I mean, that's sort of simplistic the way I said that. 
Uh, but you sort of feel that. A, sort, a bit of purposelessness when it comes to your life with God or Christianity. Or it, it, you may not even be there. You may just feel purposelessness with your life outside of God. And like with the life you're pursuing right now in college where it has nothing to do with God. You're like really doing everything you wanted to do and you're finding out that it's really not fulfilling at all. And you still go to bed sort of like, I'm not fulfilled and there's still so much more and I feel like tomorrow's gonna be better and it's gonna get better. Uh, And I think that what's weird is we're seeing that outside the church and inside the church. And I think the reason we see that is because for the most part, we have this really shallow view of what God has been doing in history, what he's doing now, what he's doing with me, what he's doing with you, where we're going, what this is all about. We have this really broken, shallow view of it. And it's because it's not really been hammered into us, even especially if we've been raised in the church. Um. And so you're always going to see me going back to Genesis for that reason. If, I, if you want to know why I go back to Genesis, I'm always going back to Genesis. Because I think we, we've lost the grand narrative. We've lost the grand purpose in all this. And in losing the purpose for what God is doing in history, we've lost our purpose and place in that. And so we're just stuck with day to day, you know, I just try to follow the rules. You know, I just try to be a good boy, be a good girl, have my quiet time. You know, talk to people about Jesus, and not in some, like, I'm going to press my beliefs on you, but in that sort of, like, I know I should talk to people about Jesus, but it never really works out. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've never led anybody to Jesus before in my life. You know, that sort of, like, just sort of frustrated life with God. Um, so, so frequently you're going to see what we do in here is I think frequently it's necessary that we just pull back and look at what God is doing. Um, What's he doing in history? Why are we alive? What, what's going on? Why would God know that humans are going to fall and send his son to die for us? What's that about? Um, so uh, this is going to be one of those times. We're just going to pull back, and I want to look at what God is doing because if we don't have a much wider lens on what God is doing in history and why Jesus is praying the way that he's praying, we're going to miss what's going on in this text. And we're going to fit that very broken narrative of evangelical Christianity. We're going to try to fit this text into that. And that just robs the text of its power. It just, it, it just, it just robs it, like castrates it. It's just like not... It, it, I've said enough. That's what it's doing. So like I said, the high priestly prayer, this is crazy beautiful. It's crazy beautiful. You have Jesus, a member of the Trinity, praying to another member of the Trinity. We have, a, we have an earshot on one member of the Trinity speaking to another member of the Trinity about us. What his promises for us are. What he wants to see from us. What he wants to see in us. What he wants to do for us. Where we are going. Where we have been. All of this is in the high priestly prayer. We got, we, this is crazy, right? This is crazy. But what we might think of this is, that's really cute that Jesus would pray for me. Man, what a nice guy. Like, and that will be the depth that we go there. Um, so I'm, we're just going to take a minute. I'm going to pull back. I want to paint a bigger picture that we can dive into this text with. Uh, we're going to get through about five verses of it tonight. Um, and then we'll, we'll hash through it a, like big time next week. Um, so so my, my hope is that we can find our purpose. It, we can let the narrative that's unfolding in history that God is doing, we can find our purpose in that uh, instead of wherever else we might be finding purpose. So I'm just going to give you a short, short background, short background. 
Um, and I'm going to do this quicker than I typically do. Um, it looks like in the Genesis creation narrative, Genesis 1, 2, 3 is where I'm going to come from. It looks like in this creation narrative where, you know, where God's creating the earth and he's creating the heavens and he's filling the heavens and he's creating the earth and, and he's filling the earth. It seems like what's going on in there is God is creating a place um, and then he's creating these beings that will be in this place and be with him and know him. So that God doesn't create because he's lonely. He actually needs nothing and has all power, is the most creative thing in the universe, the most beautiful thing in the universe, uh, is infinitely loving, infinitely kind, infinitely merciful, infinitely just, infinitely wrathful. Okay, so he's this complex but just beautiful being who is in one in three, he's a trinity, he's in, he's in relationship with himself in this way that is completely fulfilling and whole and beautiful and needs nothing. And he creates. He has something to give, no one to give it to. So he creates. What he has to give is himself, the most valuable thing in all of existence. This is what he has to give. Enjoy me. And while you're enjoying me, enjoy what I've made. Right? So he creates this place and he puts humans in this place so that we might see our creation and know him better and then actually be with him and know him better. And this is like really why he did this. That's really why he did this. Like really know him. Like really know him. I'm not saying no about him. I'm not saying no his attributes. Like if I just tell you my wife has got brown hair, brown eyes, dark skin, and looks sort of Persian, but she's in fact not, uh, that, it's not you, you wouldn't look at me like, man, he really knows his wife, really knows her. Like, I'm not talking about his attributes. I'm talking about like the deep, like unique things about God, like really know him. That's what he's calling humans into. And what you're seeing in the garden is that he's calling humans into this sort of deep, fulfilling knowledge of him. Where he's, and what you see is that he walks with them in the cool of the day, in the good part of the day when it's kind of cool. He's walking, and, he's, and what I imagine is just like, you see this mango? This mango is killer delicious but it's tricky on how to cut it open, right? You gotta cut it along the seed, right? And then you need to cut these lines in it and then lines in it this way and then you sort of unfold it and eat it, right? It seems like God is just like walking with his creation and showing them, that's what he did, okay? Whenever I pray, God's like, this is what I told Adam, how to cut a mango. Uh, Right, but this is what I understand God doing. Like he's revealing and then in that he's showing parts of himself to his creation. He's showing himself. And then what we see that's really, really beautiful is he doesn't just say, like, come to this place and live in it. He makes us, and I'm going to use this word, vice regents or authoritative stewards. He gives it to us. Like, he makes it and then gives it to us. And he's like, cultivate life here, plant some different trees. Right? Make some hybrids. Make like a grape apple. Bring that together and we'll call it a grapple or a grapeple. I don't know. Right? 
But this is what he's doing. He's saying, this is your place. This is yours. You are the steward of this creation. The direction that you take it is the direction that it will go. So he has all power and all sovereignty, but the way that he's decided to administer that sovereignty to our physical realm, to our part of creation, is through humanity. So when we talk about God being sovereign and God being above all and high and lifted up, uh, and he's in the heavens and he does what he pleases, but then the next part of that verse in the Psalms is, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So this is really, really crazy to think about. He didn't just make it and say, like, I own the place. I'm going to run it. You just sort of enjoy yourself. He's like, no, the decisions you make here will affect this place. Cultivate life in this place. If you do not cultivate life in this place, death will reign in this place. And the way, and that's what, he, that's what he's talking about when he says he made men in his own image. And then you're going to see right after that in Genesis 1, he made them in his own image. Man and woman, he created them in his own image. And then it says, and then he gave everything to him. The fish of the, uh, uh, the, fish of the sea, the birds of the air, all the animals that walk on the land. He gave to them as stewards over it. All flesh, as it were, was given for men to be stewards over. When I say men, I say mankind. And then what we see happen in Genesis 3 is everything falls apart, right? He didn't just say that and say, okay, that's it. He's like, if you don't like the way this is working, there is a way out of this. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. At that point, Adam and Eve only had the knowledge of good. And they could have walked out in existence where all they knew was good. But what we see is they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God actually says, after they do that, they have become like me, knowing good from evil. We better keep them out of the garden unless they take from the tree of life and live forever. So they got exactly what they wanted. They now had to choose between good and evil, where in the beginning all they had to do was choose for good. So they got this doorway out, and when they took the doorway out, they no longer were in that relationship where they knew God and could image him and therefore cultivate life. So they lost their purpose. They lost life, and they lost their purpose. They can't know God, and as they can't know God in the way that they could, they can no longer know him in that way, so two things are lost, life, He's the source of life and their purpose, which was to cultivate life on this earth as the stewards of this earth. So as we see Genesis unfolds and we find out they cannot cultivate life. They can only cultivate death. Death spreads. Then you get the Noah story and the flood and all that happens. You get the lineage of, of uh, Cain that just ends in some guy killing some guy because he scratched him. You're just seeing death just just explode out of the gate and we see humans were given authority over this earth and what we did with the authority is we began to steward our place really 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 badly and so I know a lot of you have asked the question like well there's so much suffering on the earth why won't God step in and do something about it I know he can he has the power he's good right 
And the answer to that question is because the earth was given to the children of men. God wants to restore humanity's ability to cultivate life on the earth. He doesn't want to step in and fix our problems in a way that negates what he did in the beginning. So he will step in and fix our problems for us, but he'll do it in a way that restores our purpose, not robbing us of our purpose, right? So I know this is, I'm getting, we're going to get deep into this a little bit, but that's okay. So the fallout from not being able to know God anymore is we can't be alive anymore. We die uh, and we can't image him to the creation we have authority over anymore. Uh, We became stewards who are actually destroying the creation and bringing pain and suffering and more death to the earth. And then what we see from Genesis 3 to the end of the Old Testament is something really interesting. God comes to a nation and actually creates this nation and reveals himself. So he begins to show who he is to a, to a group of people again. So you think these people know God, so they're going to be able to be alive and image him again. And what we see in the life of the Israelites is no, for some reason, they know him more than everyone else on the planet does, but they're unable to cultivate life. So you see Jesus getting in, in Matthew 5, 6, where he's saying, you were supposed to be a city on a hill. You were not a city on a hill. You were like a, lamp, a light uh, that was under a basket. And this is what he's saying. You were supposed to be the salt of the earth. You were supposed to be this nation who knew me and was going to begin to cultivate life and bless the world, but you couldn't do that for some reason. And the reader of the text should look at that and go, why can't we do that? And what we see is, Paul really explains this out all the time, is we are in bondage to our sinful flesh. Even as God reveals himself, we are unable to image him because we are so bent towards our desires and flesh, what we want. We want to see our name great. We want to see our plans done. We want to see our lives beautiful. We want to be better than everyone around us. And so when God wanted to administer his rule and reign and his sovereignty through us in a way that cultivated life, we, become an, uh, we became unable and all we could do was administer our kingdom and our reign and our life over our little segment of existence. So, so this, think, think in that, think in those terms, think in those terms as we, as we jump into this text. I'm going to read the last sentence of chapter 16 before we get into uh, chapter 17. So uh, verse 1633 so remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's been talking to them for about three chapters now, and he's coming to the very end of what he's saying to his disciples before he begins to pray, pray for them. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, if, if, if I hadn't told you everything I just told you, I think some of you, especially like where I grew up in, I would read that and be like, why does Jesus need to overcome the world? He's God who has sovereignty and control over everything in existence. What's he's, what, to, what, what business does he have overcoming anything? He, he's, not, he's not been overcome before that he needs to overcome something. You see what I'm saying? Like I look at that, I was like, why does Jesus need to overcome the world? He obviously created the world and everything in it. 
How is it that the, the, the world became in a place where Jesus had to overcome it? Um, and, and then he's saying, you're, you're, you're going to have peace um, in me, but in the world you're going to have tribulation. Well, if you've overcome the world, why are we going to have tribulation in the world? What's going on there? You overcame the world. Why is it going to be so sucky? You've got power. You could fix this. He, what, what we see is he overcame, he overcame the world on behalf of men. That's why Jesus has to become a man. So that he can do what man was originally supposed to do from the very beginning. Be in communion with God the Father. Perfectly, obediently walk out the will of God in his life and cultivate life as he went. That's what you see, God, that's what you see Jesus doing. Saying what God has told him to say. Doing what God has called him to do. Healing the brokenness. Casting out evil spirits. You're seeing all this stuff. Jesus is walking and praying. He's doing exactly what the original man was supposed to be doing. Knowing God fully and displaying God fully. Right? So when Jesus overcomes, and he's, Jesus, this is weird. I hate that the Bible does this. But the Bible is speaking in past tense about something that's about to happen. So Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. And I'll be doing that tomorrow. And then you're going to see in the first half of the high priestly prayer, he's doing that. He's using past tense language. He's using the aorist tense, which is a past tense tense. Um, <laughs> right? Past tense tense. Um, he's using the past tense to explain something that's going to happen in the future. So just don't be confused by that. When he's saying, I have overcome the world, he's saying, I'm going to do that when I go to the cross. Okay, so let's jump into 17.1. Uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, do you see all of the themes that we talked about in Genesis 1 in there? You have now given, so Jesus overcomes the world. He's going to perfectly do what the Father called him to do. He's going to do what the original man could not do. And in doing what man could never have done, this perfect man does this thing perfectly. He lives out the will of God perfectly, cultivating life wherever he goes and displaying the Father to the creation, doing what the Father would have done. He's being the authoritative steward as a man should have been. He's doing this to creation. And in so doing this, he is restoring man's place as the authoritative steward of the world. Whereas when we disobeyed God, we lost that position. Now we have that position again because Jesus does that personally. I overcame the world. Okay, so you overcame the world. And he's saying, now return me to the glory that I had with you before. Like glorify me um, so that I can glorify you um, uh, since you have given him, and then here's the two themes we've been talking about. Since you have given him, since you have given Jesus, the Father has given Jesus authority over all flesh. We lost the authority over all flesh in Genesis 1. And now Jesus, having done what men were supposed to have done, is restoring the ability for humanity to have authority in a way that is pleasing to God and cultivates life on the earth. So he's restored the authority over all flesh, which he's about to do. He's talking past tense, but it's about to happen on the cross. I said that already. Okay, that's what he's doing. And then he's saying, why am I, why am I restoring uh, in this authoritative place? What is he going to do? Well, he's going to give eternal life. So he's going to return eternal life to humanity once again. So you're seeing what was lost is now being undone. Know God, and by knowing God, you have, 
You are alive and have the purpose of cultivating life. Now that was lost. Now Jesus, walking fully in obedience to his Father, is going to restore life and authority. You see that? I know, this is, it's all weavy. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and this is, okay, so then, and this is eternal life. See this third theme that we've been talking about. This is the beginning, but it's the end. You'll see. Um, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see that? Sweet. Okay, that's what I needed. All right. Or else I was just going to keep on explaining it to you. And y'all are like, we got it. Shut up. Let's keep moving. Okay. Eternal life is knowledge of the Father and the Son. Wow. Okay. That's exactly what it was in the beginning. And when we have knowledge of the Father, we are able to be authoritative stewards and cultivate life. Because we're alive. And we are receiving direction and guidance on how to do that from him. So, um, so then, okay, let's read this last part. Yeah, 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 let's read it. Uh, this part's a little crazy. Uh, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Jesus talking. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus knew the whole time what he was doing. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Wow. Jesus empties himself of his glory. No clue what that means. Empties himself of his glory. Becomes human. Human skin. Eat like a human Sleep like a human. He's God. This is God. This is crazy. Be born like a human. That's weird. He's emptying himself of his glory so that he can restore man's place in the world. And he's saying, after I've done this, return me to the glory that I had with you before this whole thing started. And you see, that's where, that's where Jesus' eyes are looking to. Oh, God, restore me to the glory I had with you where I'm like in your presence and life is beautiful and life is good. And, and these humans are back to, to where we started them. They're going to they're gonna start doing this thing again. They're going to be able to know you again. They're going to be able to cultivate life again. They're going to be able to be alive again. Um, so this is where the story gets really beautiful if you didn't know the story of Jesus, you might see the high priestly prayer and you might see the language that he's using here and you might be like, he's lived this perfect life. Maybe eternal life means that he just lives forever. But what we see Jesus doing is having lived this perfect life, he then goes to a cross where he is punished for all of our sins. So that there's this double exchange between us and Jesus, where he takes my past, he takes me knowing full well who he is, but still riding around smoking sweets, and that gets nailed to the cross. He takes my addictions that tore my family apart and nails them to the cross, but he doesn't just nail them to the cross, that nail goes through his own hand to a piece of wood, and this is God we're talking about. 
He takes that. And then somehow, in some ridiculous way, I am, you are, clothed in his perfect life. So we're seen as this perfect son who obeyed the father perfectly. And the reason that has to happen, the reason that has to happen is there's no other way for us to be made clean again to restore this relationship of knowledge. That relationship of knowledge is, and when I say knowledge, I don't mean your intellect. I mean you knowing God in a way that is deeper and more beautiful than his attributes, like I mentioned earlier. The cross, it takes away the guilt and the shame and the uncleanliness of my life and clothes me in the perfect life of Jesus so that I'm brought now back into the family of God so that in a sense I can walk with my father in the cool of the day and he can be like, hey, look at this mango. It's awesome, but it's tricky on how to eat it, right? That's in a sense, this is what he's restoring, this relationship with God the Father that restores life to a human that takes away the shame and the guilt and the pain of what you're experiencing in your life because it says that stuff doesn't matter anymore. It was nailed to a cross. You are clothed in a perfect life and your Father loves you and cares for you. He cares about your test tomorrow. He cares about this guy that you like. He cares about this problem you have with your mom. He cares about the little things in your life And he wants to walk that stuff out with you. And as he brings healing and life to you, he's putting you in a position to cultivate the lives of the people around you. You feel me? That's that's where he's going. That's where he's going. That's what he's talking about. So what we're seeing, um, should I read this now or not? Um, Wait one second. Um, Yeah, I'll read this now, then we'll, we'll say one thing. Um, I'm going to read Romans 8. I just want to, I want to take what I've said and I want to put it in Paul's words. Is that okay? I don't know. Um, okay, Romans, Romans 8, real quick. You, it'll be on the screen, so don't even, uh, don't even feel like you need to turn there unless you're really good at flipping through the Bible. Then go ahead. It's worth some practice. All right, I'm going to start in verse 16. Now, I, I take what, what's been said and, and think about this. Verse. I, just want to, I just want to prove to you that's what, what is going on. Uh, if we can do that. Um, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Familiar relationship. This is where it begins. And if children, then heirs. You see that? Children who become heirs. The knowledge of God in a familial way that results in authoritative stewardship once again. You see that? So if we are children of God, Uh, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You're seeing, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. Jesus is saying, return me to the glory that I had with you before the world began. And then Paul is saying, we'll actually share in that glory, provided we lay down our lives at the feet of Jesus and walk out whatever is in front of us, even if that means suffering. Right? Okay, let's keep going. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay, so here's this whole creation being broken. Listen, listen. For the creation waits 
The creation waits with eager longing for the, revela- for the revealing of the sons of God. Why does creation care about who's a Christian? Let's see. Um, for the creation was subjected to futility. That was us being terrible stewards. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So as we are glorified and become co-heirs with Jesus, we begin to rule and reign the earth the way that it was supposed to be ruled and reigned as we image forth who God is to the creation. The creation itself is actually like, we're dying here. Can you reveal who these people are so that life can begin to be breathed into the creation again? Creation itself groans, right? So let's keep going. I'm giving it away. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, life. The redemption of our bodies is the day we trade this perishable body for a imperishable body. The day Jesus returns and we are fully made whole and fully made right. And like the song says, the wedding bells ring and there's no pain, there's no tears, there's no crying anymore. I don't have to sit in my office and hear some of you tell me crazy stories about your past, about people who harmed you. Right? I wait for that day. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. This is what he's talking about. Creation is longing and groaning for the sons of God to be revealed so that creation itself won't be subjected to corruption and futility anymore. Here's the purpose of humanity, right? The purpose of humanity to know God again, to become alive again, and then to cultivate life here to do that. Way, way different, way, way different than be a good boy, wear your Christian shirt, throw away your secular music, have a quiet time. So different, right? So different. Um, so let me say this and then, uh, and then we'll close this out. This, so think this is what's in the mind of Jesus as he prays the high priestly prayer. This is where this is going. Something that was lost for thousands of years is now only a day away from being restored again. Humans were unable, they were, they were literally unable to know their God, to know their purpose, to fulfill their purpose, to be alive, to be set free from bondage to shame and guilt and addictions, literally unable. And with Jesus' death on the cross, something, these doors fling wide open. And what it is, is now the Holy Spirit, because we as humans have been made clean, because Jesus is killed for our sins, and we're clothed in his righteous life. We're made clean, even though we're not worthy, we're made clean, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. So the other third member of the Trinity that we sort of left out is now, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is ridiculous. Okay, so I'm the temple of the third member of the Trinity, and this is how the Father conveys love, guidance, leading, direction, 
Ultimately, how the Father conveys forgiveness, the authority of the Son who will be co-heirs with. So, so this is what Jesus is praying for, that in one day's time, what was impossible for thousands and thousands and thousands of, no, I say thousands and thousands, there's only a couple thousand, a couple thousand years is possible that we might know our God again, that we might walk in the purpose for which he created us again, and that we might hope for the day that there is no choosing between the good and the evil anymore, that there's only the choice for the good, that we're in this place where it's possible now because of the Holy Spirit, it's possible to walk in our purpose and in life. But it's also completely possible not to. Completely possible. And so as, as we're going to jump in for the next couple weeks to the high priestly prayer, um, I just want to, I'm going to ask you two questions. Uh, are you trading this life of purpose, this life that is beautiful, this life that has meaning, that is literally the reason you were created, literally the reason you were birthed into this world. You're trading that for a purposelessness, unfulfillment, life that revolves around desires that you have about what you want from this world. Are you trading that? And I'm not saying like, you idiot, don't do that. I am saying that a little bit. But I'm not saying it from a place of like, I didn't walk in that really dumb place for a really long time and found it to be really destructive. There is something more. There is something more than follow the rules, have a quiet time. There really is. And there's something more than smoke a little weed, take a few shots, get wasted on Saturdays, do good in school, have a family, the American dream. There's something more than that, too. Are you trading your purpose? Are you trading life for a purposeless existence? And then secondly, you who have submitted to Jesus, are you that are walking this thing out and wanting to see life happen and wanting to see you know, the sin that clings to you just done away with, um, is knowing God primary, is knowing him and the intimacy that you have with your Father through the Son via the Holy Spirit, is that primary? Is that the wellspring from which flows your life and good works? Or have you made working for God or doing good things or following the rules or wearing a Christian t-shirt or whatever, have you made something primary over knowing God in this way? Has intimacy with your father been kicked to the curb for religion? That's the question. And I, again, I don't say this not feeling this. I'm here. I like traded the first one for the second one. Like I say this is a, like, it's just a bit of confession to you. Like this happens easily. You don't just decide to do this. You sort of slide into that. Like, I've traded meeting with students and preparing sermons for actually spending time with my father. And that happens easy. 
Like you got to fight to be in this place of intimacy. It's like you got to fight to come to a place of rest. Like that's what it's like. So those are the two questions I want you guys to be thinking about. Are you trading something that has no value? Are you laying down something really valuable for something that has no value? Or have you made that switch and you're trying to walk this out, but you've let something else get in the way of what is really primary? Because evangelism is good, but it doesn't work unless it comes from your life being changed by life with God. Sermons don't mean anything unless they come from a place of me having met with the Father. Right? All of this just becomes this like rote religion thing. If this doesn't center around me and my father and the people that my father has put around me, right? Life with him inside this community.